0: Between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome to Hither Came Conan. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today Conan fights a big spider. Uh yes, the the spider. That's right. This week we're looking at Conan the Barbarian, issue number four from Marvel Comics. This issue sports a cover date of April 1971, but it hit the stands in January. It sold for 15 cents, and the title of this story is The Tower of the Elephant. It was written by Roy Thomas. Pencils by Barry Windsor Smith, inks by Sal Busema, letters by Sam Rosen, and the colors were by Mimi Gold. Our story opens in a dark and seedy tavern somewhere in the thief city of Zamora, where a Kothian slaver is running his mouth bragging that he's come to teach women stealing to the Zamorians who, quote, were born with more knowledge of the art than he could ever hope to obtain, end quote. As he continues to boast and make a general ass out of himself. Doesn't it give you a kind of a shudder of electricity through you to be in the same room with me? The Kothian mentions the secret of the Elephant Tower, which draws the attention of Conan, who until that point had been just another patron of the tavern. Conan approaches the Kothian and asks the man to tell him the secret of the elephant tower, and the Kothian tells him of the great jewel held within that men call the heart of the elephant. Conan tells the Kothian that he has seen the tower and has found its defenses rather light and wonders why no one has stolen this jewel. The Kothian slaver laughs, mocking Conan for an ignorant barbarian before mansplaining why it would be impossible when Conan, irritated at the mockery, tells the slaver that, quote, there is always a way if the desire be coupled with courage, end quote. The Cothian, angered over Conan's impertinence, smacks the barbarian across the chest, telling him to get out of his sight. Well, as you can imagine, Conan's irritation leaps over annoyance and dives headfirst into rage, and he knocks the Kothian on his ass. Soon, swords are drawn, And in the scuffle, as the other patrons make for the door, a candle, the only source of light in the tavern, goes out, plunging them all into darkness. When somebody finally manages to relight the candle, the Kothian is found dead on the tavern floor, and Conan is gone. Sometime later, the barbarian youth slinks about, creeping toward the Tower of the Elephant. When he spies Yara, the tower's master, arrive and enter the tower, a sense of dread washes over him from being so close to the dark priest. What Conan doesn't see, however, is the way in which Yara's feet never touches the ground as he crosses the courtyard, which, if he had seen that, it would have made the Cimmerian a bit uneasy, but it wouldn't have changed his mind about breaking into the tower, which is, of course, what he plans to do. But no, Conan doesn't see because he's too busy scaling the tower's outer wall, which he's up and over with very little effort. All the while, his mind racing with the memory of a story about Yara that Conan had been told. Yara, as the story goes, when confronted by a hostile prince, had laughed in the man's face before turning him into a tiny little spider, which Yara then crushed beneath his heel. Once over the wall and into the courtyard, Conan stumbles across the body of a very recently strangled and now deceased guard. He's not quite dead! As he crouches to examine the body, he hears the soft tread of stealthy feet and turns to find a man standing before him, almost as naked as he is, and Conan cries out a warning to freeze or die. Basically, that's basically what he says. The man is a mustachioed ginger that's a bit plump in the tum. And he wants to fight Conan even less than Conan does. Recognizing a fellow thief, the man introduces himself as Taurus of Nemedia. Conan recognizes the name. Taurus is known as the Prince of Thieves. The Sumerian introduces himself and the two-fist bump before teaming up to break into the tower. However, before they can make it through the courtyard to the tower itself, they must first face the true guards that stalk the ground. Fierce man eating lions. Man, I hate lions. Taurus shows that he's done a bit more prep than Conan by pulling out a blowgun and sending a cloud of poison toward the lions, which kills them instantly. This challenge now defeated, the two move on once again. Taurus tosses a lion with a grappling hook to the top of the tower, but before they can start to climb, another lion, a survivor, creeps up from behind. Death on silent feet. But lest you forget, Conan is quite the badass, and he senses the danger and spins to confront the lion as it strikes. They fight, but in the end, despite the eeriness of a lion that won't roar, Conan wins, slaying the beast with his sword. I get to fight the lion! With yet another challenge faced and won, the two thieves scale the tower, climbing all the way to the top. Taurus, at that point, attempts to leave Conan behind, sending him to the edge of the tower to look for guards as Taurus slips into the tower through the door up there on the roof. Conan, seeing his new chum gone, runs to the door just in time to hear a muffled cry from the other side. The Cimmerian opens the door, and the body of Taurus, prince of thieves and newly made member of the recently deceased, falls out of the room and onto the ground at Conan's feet. (laughs) Conan, on edge but alert, enters the room to find open chests of gold and jewels. You know, rich stuff. But before he can even think of dipping his hands into one of the open chests, scooping out a big mess of gold coins, and tossing them into the air as he hoops and hollers triumphantly, he's attacked by a spider the size of a pig. Spider pig, spider pig. Does whatever a spider pig does. The spider swings hither and yon about the room on its web, historically foreshadowing a blue and red clad hero that will one day rise in the future city of New York to battle crime and just generally save the day. Can he swing from a web? No, we can't. He's a pig. Conan, being Conan, soon dispatches the creepy crawly horror by beaming it in its spider face with a chest full of gold before making his way deeper into the tower, moving with purpose into the levels below. Soon he comes upon a chamber in which sits a life-size statue to some sort of elephant god. The idol, green in color with the body of a man but the head of an elephant, sits, wrists in manacles and chains, upon a raised dais. But as Conan crosses the room, the so-called statue opens its eyes, revealing itself to be alive. I'm not dead! It is, however, blind and frail, calling out in fear to know who is there in the room with it. Conan, feeling pity for the poor wretch, gives the elephant man his name, and soon the two are chatting. The elephant creature is Yog Kosha, a being from another planet who, along with his kinsmen, once flew through space using great wings that grew from their backs. They arrived on the Earth over 100,000 years ago, their wings falling off once they hit the atmosphere, trapping them on our planet. Yag kosha is the last of his people who, 300 years ago, was captured and enslaved by Yara and forced to teach the wizard the secrets of both the light and dark arts. The alien then directs Conan's gaze to a large gem on a pedestal near them, the heart of the elephant. Yag kosha then begs Conan to kill him, telling the Sumerian to stab him in the heart and then, quote, go you down to the ebony chamber where Yara dreams and lay the gem before him and say, Yag kosha gives you a last gift and a last enchantment, end quote. Then, Yag kosha tells him, once his message is delivered, to get the hell out of the tower as quickly as his sandaled feet will take him. Conan does as instructed, and when he presents the gem to Yara, the wizard begins to shrink until he is absorbed into the gem where Yogg-Kosha is waiting for him. As the issue ends, the tower begins to crumble all around the Sumerian youth. Conan escapes unscathed and watches as the tower becomes so much rubble. Enough talk! All right, so this story was adapted from the Robert E. Howard story of the same name. And according to the collection of Conan stories that I'm currently listening to, they say that The Tower of the Elephant is widely considered to be the first real Conan story. He wrote it in the summer of 1932, and it was the fourth Conan story that he had published, and it was published in Weird Tales magazine in the March 1933 issue. It's been adapted into comics three times. The first, of course, was here in Conan the Barbarian, number four, from January of 1970. The second time it was adapted into comics was also by Marvel Comics in The Savage Sword of Conan, which is a black and white magazine. It was in issue number 24 from September of 1977. Now, the neat thing about this version is that it wasn't just a reprint of the story that's in Conan the Barbarian number four. No, this was an all new adaptation. It was written again by Roy Thomas. It had pencils by John Buscema. Alfred Alcala was on the inks, and the letters were done by James Novak. In fact, if you look at the magazine, right there in the first couple of pages, there is an editor's note that says, this issue represents a very special one for editor-slash-writer Roy Thomas, for it is the first and probably only time when a Conan story originally drawn in comics form by one artist has been or will be illustrated by a second artist, which, of course, we know is untrue. At the time, sure, it was true. But considering that there are three versions, three comic book adaptations of this story, this one was redrawn again by a completely different artist and a completely different writer. That was in the Dark Horse series when Dark Horse had the license. It was in the title that was just called Conan, and it was actually split up into three issues, issues 20 to 22, which were published from September to November 2005. And again, it was broken up into three parts. It was written by Kurt Busick with art by Kerry Nord. The letters were by Richard Starkings and Jimmy Betancourt, and the colors were by Dave Stewart. So, not only, of course, did I read this issue, Conan the Barbarian issue number four, I have listened to the Robert E. Howard original tale a number of times, and I read the other two adaptations. So, Let's talk about those for a moment. First, I, I basically, I just want to kind of go through and talk about the biggest changes from the original story to the comics and even changes made among the different adaptations. First, let's talk about the length. I think the, uh, in the collection that I'm listening to on audiobook, I believe they said that this one was about 10,000 words long. They referred to it as a novelette. But as far as the comic book adaptations are concerned, Conan the Barbarian number four is 20 pages long. The version that's in Savage Sword of Conan issue 24 is 22 pages long. And of course, the Dark Horse version span three issues. Now, the original is broken out into three chapters. So each issue of the Dark Horse version is one of those chapters. The next big change is that In Conan the Barbarian number four, it tells us that the story takes place in the Zamorian city of Aranjun, though the name of the city is never actually given in the original story. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that the Savage Sword of Conan and the Dark Horse version, they don't give the name of the city either. Next on the list of changes is Conan's clothes. In the original, he's wearing a tunic when he's in the tavern. But then he strips down to just his sandals and a loincloth for the heist. And in this issue, Conan the Barbarian, issue number four, of course, he's wearing his standard Conan costume that we've seen in this series since issue number one. The helmet with the horns and the the furry trunks and the sandals and big 70s medallion thing hanging around his neck and such. Uh, in the Savage Sword of Conan issue, he's just wearing the sandals and his little fur trunks. For the entire story, but the dark horse version gets it right. He's wearing a, a tunic and his little shorts when he's in the tavern, and then he strips down to just a, a loincloth. He, he's basically in the a, a version of underwear for the time, as well as his sandals. Then we have Taurus, Prince of Thieves. In the original story, Taurus is described as tall as the Sumerian and heavier. He was big bellied and fat. But his every movement betokened a subtle dynamic magnetism, which was reflected in the keen eyes that glinted vitally, even in the starlight. Now, both Conan the Barbarian number 4 and the Dark Horse version depict Taurus with a bit of a belly. So they both got that right. And in fact, the two versions actually look quite similar. In the original, all it says about the way Taurus was dressed was that he had bare feet and wore some kind of girdle. So, in both the Conan the Barbarian number four version and the Dark Horse version, Taurus is like Conan, naked except for some underpants or whatever they're wearing. Uh, but he does have bare feet in both versions. He has short hair, possibly red. It does look very red in the Conan the Barbarian issue number four version. Can't really tell in the Dark Horse version. It's it's uh it's brown at least, but the colors are, are a bit murky. Uh he's got just a mustache in the Marvel version, but both uh mustache and a short cropped beard in the dark horse version. However, in Savage Sword of Conan number 24, Taurus has long hair and uh kind of a long beard, and he's wearing some sort of sleeveless tunic and boots. He looks like a pirate. He he looks like if You took most of the extravagant clothing off of Blackbeard. That's who the Taurus in Savage Sword of Conan number 24. That's what what he looks like. The next change involves the spider. The spider. It's described in the original story as being as large as a pig, which pigs do come in various sizes, so I kind of had to look that up. And per the internet... It says uh, in general, pigs are 35 to 70 inches long and weigh between 100 and 770 pounds. So that's kind of a big spectrum there for pig size. But the the spider and the savage sort of Conan version is much bigger than it is in Conan the Barbarian number four. But the spider in the Dark Horse version and the savage sort of Conan version is much bigger than it's depicted in Conan the Barbarian number four. Uh, at least in the Savage Sword of Conan version, it's almost as long as Conan is tall. Whereas in the Conan the Barbarian, it's about half that size. The Dark Horse version seems to be the same size as the Savage Sword of Conan version, but it's kind of hard to tell. It's it's not drawn with a lot of perspective around it, so you can't really tell exactly how big it is. Now, in both the Savage Sword of Conan and Dark Horse versions, Yag Kosh's head. Is freaking huge. Look at the size of that boy's head. I mean, to the point that it looks ridiculous, like somebody stuck an actual elephant's head from an actual elephant onto a skinny human body. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Now, the original story does describe Yag Kosha as having the body of a man, naked and green in color, but the head was one of nightmares and madness. Too large for the human body. It had no attributes of humanity. So yeah, the head is supposed to be bigger, but it just looks, like I said, it looks ridiculous. Well, that's a huge noggin. Granted, Kosha's body is supposed to be frail and tortured and was once muscular. It, it says in the original, Conan's gaze strayed to the limbs, stretched on the marble couch, and he knew the monster would not rise to attack him. He knew the marks of the rack, and the searing brand of the flame. And tough-souled as he was, he stood aghast at the ruined deformities which his reason told him had once been limbs as comely as his own. So yeah, the Dark Horse version probably does the best job at portraying this, because all three of these adaptations do show Yag Kosha in flashback to when he first arrived on Earth, And the dark horse version is the only one that shows him just like all kinds of muscly and stuff. And at the time when, you know, he's all muscly, when he first arrives on Earth, the head does not look out of proportion to the body. It looks like it belongs. But what we're kind of led to assume here, based on the, the original text, is that throughout these 300 years of him being tortured by Yara. He has grown skinny and frail and basically just skin and bones. And so the head does look very much out of proportion. It's a virtual planetary, Shh. has its own weather system. Whereas in, in Conan the Barbarian number four, he, even the, the, the present version of Yag Kosha, not, not the one in the past, the one we're looking at now, he's very muscly. And his body type doesn't change at all in that or in the Savage Sword of Conan. Also, the death of Yag Kosha is handled differently in Conan the Barbarian number 4 over how it's handled in the other two adaptations and the original story. So the original story goes like this. When Yag Kosha is speaking to Conan, he says, Take your sword, man, and cut out my heart. Then squeeze it so that the blood will flow over the red stone. Then go you down these stairs and enter the ebony chamber where Yara sits, wrapped in lotus dreams of evil. Now, because of the Comics Code Authority, they couldn't really show Conan squeezing a heart and having the blood dripping out all over the gem. They couldn't do that. So I understand why they had to make that change in Conan the Barbarian issue number four. However, the other two versions didn't have to worry about all that, so they both depicted that correctly. And I believe that's pretty much most of the big changes among all th- all four of those versions, the original and the three comic book adaptations. So typically what I like to do here is ask myself, which version did I like the best? And for me, it has to be my favorite version is the one in Savage Sword of Conan number 24. I mean, first off, it's a John Buscema Conan story. And the Conan that I read in the 80s when I was growing up the the few Conan comics I read were the John Buscema comics and John Buscema Conan is my Conan. The the version in Conan the Barbarian number 4 that Barry Windsor Smith does it's fine. But when it comes down to the art and the story the Savage sort of Conan knocks it out of the park. The Dark Horse version was good as well. It's it's better. It would probably be my second choice if we were ranking it would be savage sort of Conan at the top, the, the Dark Horse version in the middle, and then at the bottom, Conan the Barbarian number four. But the main reason I didn't choose the Dark Horse version as my favorite is having it stretched out over three issues, for me, felt a little long. I mean, it did and it didn't. It makes sense based on the length of the original story, and it did allow Dark Horse to basically include everything. I think as far as Adapting the story. If if I were asking myself which one did it best, which one is closest to the original, it would be the Dark Horse version. But despite the fact that, I mean, when I read it, it didn't feel too long. It didn't feel like, oh my God, how how why did they stretch this out over three issues? It's they're they're just really just trying to fill space here so they can make money off of three issues instead of two or one. You know, none of that occurred to me. I I never thought of that while reading it. However, knowing that I can get the story in one issue and get everything I need from the story and enjoy it at the same time, having it then in three issues just feels kind of (laughs) long. I don't know if that makes any sense. That doesn't make sense. I don't know that there's anything else I want to say about the story itself or the adaptations, except that while I do like this story, The Tower of the Elephant, it's not my favorite of the Robert E. Howard stories I've read so far. And I've only read four at this point. It is up there, however. And so if I was going to rank the four Robert E. Howard Conan stories that I've read so far, Phoenix on the Sword would be at the top, followed by Tower of the Elephant, then the Scarlet Citadel, and at the bottom would be the Frost Giant's Daughter. Now, with all that being said, before we get into listeners' feedback, there there is something I, I would like to add. Because the collection that I'm reading that has Conan the Barbarian, issue number four, because it's got a map included in that collection. And by the way, if you're interested, it's it's the uh, Marvel Conan the Barbarian epic collection, the original Marvel years, volume one, the coming of Conan. You can't get it anymore, at least not digitally, because Marvel no longer has the license, but I'm, I'm sure you can find the physical one out there. But uh, eventually, I think here within the next month or two, Titan Comics, who now has... The license, they are the, the first collection that they're offering basically is this collection. They're referring to it as an omnibus of the original Marvel years. Anyway, where was I? <laughs> because that collection has a map in it, and I thought it might be fun to start talking about the geography and where Conan has been, you know, where he started from, where he's going, all that good stuff. So I will put an image of the map up over at Conan.StevenOrElse.com. The link will be in the show notes. That'll take you directly to the map, so don't worry about writing anything down. But if you want to grab the map, if you want to pull that up and, and we go over this with me, that's fine. That would be fun. Whatever. Participation is always a good thing. But if you locate Samaria on the map, you'll see that directly north is Asgard and Vanaheim. Issue number one of Conan the Barbarian takes place in Vanaheim. Then by issue two, Conan was in Asgard where he encountered the Beastmen. In issue three, he participated in a war along the border of Hyperborea and Brithunia, which is southeast from Asgard, and now he's in Zamora, which is then even further south. So, based on just issues one through four of Conan the Barbarian, he traveled north out of Samaria into Asgard, where he is hired on as a mercenary to fight with the Acer against the Vanir. From there, he travels west with the Aesir into Vanaheim, where he's taken captive by winged demons and he's held in that cave by Sharkosh. Conan escapes and heads back east into Asgard, where he is taken captive by the Beastmen. Conan leads a rebellion against the Beastmen and then he travels west into Hyperborea, where he is taken captive by the Hyperboreans. He's he's taken captive a lot. I think issue number four is the only issue so far out of the four issues that he has not been captured by anybody. But he escapes his captivity by the Hyperboreans and he goes south into Brithunia where he meets Bori, the northern god of war, and he fights for the Brithunians in their war against Hyperborea. Following that, he then travels further south and, of course, tries to steal the heart of the elephant from the Tower of the Elephant in Zamora, where he meets an alien with an elephant head. That's a, that's a lot of locations and a lot of traveling for, for, for young Conan in just four issues. And I just thought it would be fun to try and chart Conan's progress as we go along through these issues. Now I'll see if I can add pins or something to the map and, you know, something that will correspond with the various episodes. Maybe I'll, I'll try that, but at the very least, the map will be up there. The link will be in the show notes. You can, you can look at it yourself. But with that out of the way, or with that done, with that complete, I don't want to say out of the way because it sounds like I'm just trying to push through this stuff and, and get it over with. But with that part of the episode complete, let's do some listener feedback. Before I get into the bit of feedback that I got, I want to address an error I made during last week's feedback. See, last week I read a wonderful email from Billy D, in which he said that he was looking forward to me talking about the black and white magazines. And my response was, well, here, let me just play you my response. The, the black and white magazines. Yes, I will be talking about those, but it won't be until we get to that point in the publishing history. And I want to say they didn't start putting those out until 74, maybe. I don't know. I I will look that up here in the next couple of weeks so I can add that to my calendar so I can make sure that I I, I get into those. Um, I know it doesn't happen at least until after issue 14, which I'm pretty sure is the issue that Frost Giant's Daughter is in, because they then end up publishing that story in one of the black and white magazines. Okay, so here's the thing. A few days after recording that episode, I remembered that the Savage Sword of Conan, which was first published in June of 1974, wasn't the first of the Marvel black and white magazines that featured Conan. Nope, not at all. The first one was called Savage Tales. Now, while Savage Sword of Conan was a magazine that was all about Conan. Savage Tales was an anthology magazine with various stories in it, but Conan was the star and was, in fact, featured on the covers. Now, the reason I bring this up is because once I remembered that little nugget, I looked into when the first issue of Savage Tales was published, and according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com, it was published on January 19th, 1971. Why is that a big deal? Well, turns out that issue number four of Conan the Barbarian, the issue we just got done talking about, was published, again, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on January 26th, 1971, the week after Savage Tales number one. What that means for me, the guy who is going to talk about the Conan comic stories in order? well, (laughs) Well, It means that my neurodivergent brain has been doing about 3 million backflips between learning the discrepancy between those two publishing dates and today. I mean, if I'm going to do these in order, then this episode should have been about Savage Tales number one, and next week should have been about Conan the Barbarian number four. But I couldn't do that. I had already said at the end of the previous episode, that I was talking about Conan the Barbarian number four today. So in my brain, that's what I got to do. And if I wasn't going to do it, then it was going to make me feel weird. And I would feel like you as the listener would feel betrayed and lied to. But at the same time, if I didn't talk about Savage Tales number one in this episode, then everything would be out of order and my brain would just explode, which is the sort of stuff that I have to put up with all the time when it comes to the inner workings of my own brain. But here's how I was able to make everything okay for me in my head. The Conan story that is in Savage Tales number one is the Frost Giant's Daughter, which surprised the shit out of me. More on that in a bit. But because I talked about the Frost Giant's Daughter way back in episode one, I was eventually able to convince myself that I didn't need to talk about it again. But I did want to bring it up because one, I didn't want the mistake that I made last week. I didn't want that, you know, the statement that I made that the first Marvel comic, Black and White Magazine was Savage sort of Conan. I just couldn't let that sit out there without a correction. And two, I also wanted to correct a mistake I made in the Frost Giant's Daughter episode in which I, I don't know if I said it outright or if I alluded to it, that the Frost Giant's Daughter was first published. In Conan the Barbarian number 16, and then reprinted in Savage Tales number one, which is absolutely not true, considering, of course, that issue 16 of Conan the Barbarian hit the stands over a year later than Savage Tales number one. And uh, frankly, just being able to tell all of y'all that is a huge load off my brain. So I want to thank each and every one of you for giving me the opportunity to do that. So Thank you. On with the feedback. We got one this week, and it's from New Mutant 08 over on Instagram in response to last week's episode, in which I talked about Tomar, the king of the Hyperboreans, and how he looked like the old comic strip character Hager the Horrible. Anyway, New Mutant says if this came out in 1970, Hager the Horrible came out in 1973. So I bet you Dick Brown read this issue one day and patterned Hager after that character, rather than the other way around. Maybe. Fun fact, Dick was 55 when he started Hagar in 1973. Also, he and Mort Walker started High and Lois back in 1954, and Lois was actually Beetle Bailey's sister. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled program. Thanks, Wikipedia. By the way, New Mutant08 is a really wonderfully nice guy named Alan who is the guy behind the comic book, The Power Principle. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Anyway, thanks for the feedback, Alan. Um, I had no idea that Lois from High and Lois was Beetle Bailey's sister. That blows my freaking mind. And I was also unaware that Hagar the Horrible came out after this comic, which, yeah, maybe he did get the basic look for Hagar from Tomar. At least I'm going to continue to believe that until somebody tells me differently. And there you go. That was our feedback for the week. And if you want to send me feedback and have it read out on a future episode, the email is else at gmail.com or I am at else on Instagram, Spoutable, Twitter, and TikTok. I invite you to come find me. Until then, I want to thank everybody, all y'all, each and every one of you, for taking the time to listen to this here episode of Hither Came Conan. Next week, we'll be looking at Conan the Barbarian number five, from February 1971, which is titled Zucala's Daughter. I think it has a tiger on the cover. Now, I don't remember. It's not in front of me. Doesn't really matter. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hither Came Conan is a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at StephenOrElse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to Stephen or else at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at StephenOrElse and join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Rewards and feuds did Conan fight. Honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. Is a mustachioed ginger that's a big blah blah. Is a mustachioed ginger that's a bit blibs here. I just want to poop on somebody the man is a mustachio ginger the man is a near i'm really having a hard time with this one line the man is a mustachio ginger that's a big a bit plump that's all you're trying to say you the conan the conan the conan why do i keep doing that Con- the alien then directs Conan's gaze to a large gem. Conan does as instructed, and in Conan can see Yagosha. Into the boat!